Hello, my name is Ryan Whedon, and I'm an editor and post-production engineer here at Fruit Bowl. Dave asked me to step in as host for this episode while he focuses on being with his family. Dave did the story editing for this episode, and I took on mixing and music selection in addition to the narration. Patreon subscribers have access to a version of this episode that is 30 minutes longer. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a Patreon subscriber or other ways to support the show financially, you can do so at fruitbowlpodcast.com slash donate. And now, here's the show. My first crush was probably Robin Hood and Maid Marian from Disney's Robin Hood, like the foxes. Like both Maid Marian and Robin Hood. <laughs> the only time I watched the Dukes of Hazzard is when I knew that the Duke boys were not wearing a shirt. My parents sent me to fat camp. And when I got there, I met this like fat, butch, Hispanic girl from like Sacramento. And I was like done. I was like toast. I just like followed her around the next eight weeks between like water aerobics and weigh-ins. Welcome to Fruit Bowl an oral history of queer sex. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Quantic. Five years ago, I started interviewing queer people about their coming of age and the different ways we discover our sexual identities. Since then, I've presented four seasons of Fruit Bowl episodes that feature just one queer person's sexual history. This season, I'm picking through the Fruit Bowl archives, searching hundreds of hours of past conversations about queer sex, and creating episodes that explore common themes and subjects from a diverse cross-section of queer people. My goal is to destigmatize and promote conversation about queer sex, and, in the process, reveal the strength, resilience, and fierce individuality of queer people, and, at the same time, discover what unites us. Firsts, Volume 1. First Crush. I like to tell people that Chris O'Donnell made me gay. Specifically, Chris O'Donnell as Robin in the movie Batman Forever. It was the summer of 1995. I was living in Colorado Springs and about to turn 15. I knew about sex and had discovered masturbation but up until that point, I had had only a generalized attraction to men. I was browsing a catalog for the Warner Brothers store when I came across a full-page picture of Chris O'Donnell in the Robin costume. In the picture, he was throwing a punch and was stylized to look like a comic book. Something about the picture made me pause. I couldn't stop looking at it. I thought he looked so cool. I remember thinking to myself that I should probably look away, but couldn't bring myself to do it. I stared at the picture for a long time before finally closing the catalog. I remember thinking to myself, I've got some things to think about. The media blitz for the movie, coupled with commercials for Mad Love, which he also starred in, made it impossible for me to escape his image that summer. He was on billboards, McDonald's cups, and made several appearances on MTV. I thought about him constantly and would pay attention whenever commercials for the movies would air. 
To this day, a bolt of electricity still runs through me when I see pictures of him from that summer. He was my first crush. Realizing and accepting that I was gay would still be a few months away. But seeing that picture was a pivotal moment and the catalyst for my coming out. Who was your first crush? That first intense infatuation with someone special? A famous actor? A singer? An athlete? Or was it someone you knew like another student at your school? A hot neighbor or a teacher who gave you extra attention? Whoever it was, first crushes are often the first indication that we have queer tendencies. This can be validating, but also a little scary. In case you're a size queen and want an extra long version of this episode, our Patreon subscribers will get exclusive access to the uncut version of this episode that is 30 minutes longer and includes every single response to Dave's questions about crushes. And just a heads up, Dave's edit for this episode does not include each person's personal introductions. But remember, the show notes will list each person and provide links to their full-length episodes in case you want to learn more. So sit back and enjoy this crush parade. Dave's standard Fruit Bowl interview includes two questions about crushes. Who was your first crush of someone you know? And who was your first crush of someone in popular culture? But a lot of answers were less about the actor or celebrity and more about the character and their attributes. I make comic books. I teach comic books. I'm a comic book geek uh, through and through. And I grew up uh, reading you know, superhero comics and all this stuff, which have a kind of level of stylized sexuality to them. The, the idea of all these muscular men in, in tights grappling with each other in their underwear is, you know, there's something a little gay about it. So I was definitely influenced by that. Um, but I was reading comics as a kid when a new generation of comic artists were portraying male bodies a little bit more realistically. And earlier on, superheroes would be depicted in terms of muscularity, but would have no nipples, would have no body hair, and no packages, no bulges. And that changed in the 80s. So right about when I was entering, you know, my teenage years and puberty and all this was when the first superheroes started having chest hair. So you had Wolverine, he was a hairy dude, and George Perez started drawing superheroes with bulges. And nipples started even appearing. So that that was formative. Uh, Wolverine was fascinating to me. Even though I preferred Storm as a character to Wolverine, I loved looking at the pictures of Wolverine, which makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> Tommy, the green Power Ranger? <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know. He was so fucking bitching. He had a flute that was also a knife. Uh, he rode a motorcycle. Uh, his his droid was his Zoid, who was the white uh, Siberian tiger. Tommy fucked. He was so cool. Pretty-faced, long-haired, uh, uh, kind of dark-haired person. I'm, I'm still to this day... Um, enamored with people who are like just like soft featured, long haired, like you know, no matter what uh, gender presentation, that one look. I think my first famous crush was the Green Power Ranger. 
I don't know. There's something about him that was very. It was like dark and mysterious, and he was evil at one point. It was just like I found him really attractive. And then it was Chris O'Donnell and Batman and Robin and that like ridiculous nipple suit that he wore. And then now you have all the MCU guys. But like maybe this goes back to the whole like having to dress up in uniform thing. But this idea that someone's in a uniform is just like this like heroic masculine just save the day type of guy was was very appealing to me. As adults, we understand that stylists, publicists, and good lighting make actors and other celebrities as appealing as possible. But when we're young, we're easily seduced by a charismatic personality that inspires our adoration. My mom did have a Playgirl magazine, and I remember it specifically because it had uh, Peter Lupus, who was the big muscle guy in the original uh, Mission Impossible show. He was so hot. Oh, my God. Found out later that my brother was also looking at that same magazine, too. Tom Selleck. I, I grew up with Friends, <laughs> watching Friends on, uh, television, on television with my mom. I think, uh, yeah, I think I first saw him on Friends. Jonathan Taylor Thomas but only with the long hair. Devin Sawa from Casper, real into Devin Sawa. And I think I look back now and I'm like, they're just really beautiful boys, you know? They were so pretty. And then once John and Taylor Thomas cut his hair, I was like, no, <laughs> not into him. And then Devin Sawa, like, I think when both of them became more masculine, I was like, no, not so much. <laughs> I would say my first crush was Jonathan Taylor Thomas. And maybe Christy Swanson, the original Buffy from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Because I watched Cruel Intentions and there was like that, you know, really hot kiss with her and Selma Blair. And, and then I watched a lot of Buffy as well. So Sarah Michelle Gellar for sure. The first like celebrity crush I can remember was Mary Stuart Masterson and some kind of wonderful because there's a scene where she's in the locker room with all the other girls and all the other girls in their bras and panties and she's in a fucking pair of tidy whities and that was the hottest thing I knew like I was supposed to be attracted to girls but like of course the girl that I'm most attractive to is like the most boyish girl in men's underwear. I think I probably had a different experience than um, a lot of cisgender gay men um, as a transmasculine person who is also attracted to masculinity. So prior to college, I identified as a straight girl. Uh, the things that I was seeing out in the world in terms of what I should be attracted to, I was attracted to. And so it didn't take any seeking out. You know, I had a massive crush on Leonardo DiCaprio, just like everyone else. I had a massive crush on um, Johnny Depp. I never actually did anything because I was too shy. Um, not that I had a chance with Johnny Depp or Leonardo DiCaprio. I fell in love with Mariah Carey, like, very young. <laughs> My mom had, um, I think it was a Daydream CD, and I remember just, like, I would listen to it, like, over and over and, like, sit with the pamphlet and just, like, read and just, like, look at all the pictures, and I was like... I love Mariah Carey. I want Mariah Carey to be my best friend. And that was the first CD that I bought. 
And I took that pamphlet out, the little, you know, insert or whatever, and I just like put it up into my mirror. And I think like it was okay because like I was like female at the time and, you know, it was like, oh, I just like, I love her so much and I love her music and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, I like, I like really loved her like a lot. And now I'm like still like, oh, I would climb her like a tree. Oh my God. She is just like everything. Famous crushes are fine, but often the objects of our affection are people who we grew up with or see around town. In this next section, Dave has assembled different crushes, including ones that started in kindergarten and continued all the way into young adulthood. It was in kindergarten when I had that very first crush. And so at recess, this Latin boy with an earring was out playing tag. And I was like, I want to play tag with you. So we started playing tag. And it wasn't until years later that I realized that I had a crush on him. And that it wasn't just like he was a cool kid and I wanted to play games with him. Like, I loved him at my little five years old. And I remember going to my grandma's house and getting, like, looking through her big giant chest of costume jewelry. And I found this necklace that looked just like this Latin boy's earring. And I asked my grandma, can I have that? There's a boy in my class that has something like it. And she's like, yeah, take it. You know, enjoy. I remember going to kindergarten and wearing that necklace. And then when I told my mom why I had the necklace, she was like, you don't need that. And she took it from me. And I was like, well, that's weird. I mean, the, the Latin boy with the earring. And that's still what I call him because I cannot remember his name. But I have the most fond memories of playing tag with him in the, the yard at my school. And I remember that, like, I wanted so badly to connect to him. But I, n- now I understand what that yearning was. At that moment, I just thought it was just a connection. was probably about I think I was in second grade and we were like reenacting Hercules <laughs> like three of my friends that were girls <laughs> and we were like out on the playground and um they were like um why don't you be the prince and I was like yeah I'll be the prince and so I got to kiss this um girl named like on the cheek and I got like hot <laughs> like my like temperature wise and I was like excited about it and I didn't know what that meant (laughs) I don't know if I was just like socially awkward or like that's like one of like the firsts that I remember about having like a crush on a girl because during my elementary school years I had crushes like every day (laughs) like different people didn't matter the gender like I was (laughs) I just liked people I think (laughs) that's who I was um I pretended to like the same things that she liked she was really into, like, Wishbone at the time, which was, like, a show. <laughs> it's weird that I remember that. Um, I think we tried to have, like, play dates, you know, as a kid. But, um, yeah, there was something about her that intrigued me. Like, she had this, like, short, shiny hair and bangs and the way that she talked or her mannerisms. I was re- always really interested in people's, like, hands and how they talked with them. So I think those kinds of things intrigued me about her. 
later elementary school years into middle school, probably like sixth grade, um, I was like really wanting to kiss somebody. I wanted to like know what that felt like. Um, so I was kind of hung up on that. I was like, what's that going to be like? You know, I'd had no idea. Um, and it's, it was everywhere to me too. Like all the shows I was watching, there was like kissing. Um, I remember like practicing, like making out, (laughs) you can't really do it with yourself, but I would like, I'm (laughs) so silly, but I used to like, um, I had this like tiny mirror and I would like put on like lip gloss and I would like kiss it. (laughs) like kind of make out I use my hands sometimes too um yeah stuff like that I feel like I've had a crush on every single teacher I've ever had to be honest I have like an anxious attachment style so like Anyone who shows me, like, a modicum of, like, affection and gives me compliments, I just, like, fall in love with them instantly. Um, So, you know, I would say, like, Miss J from, like, kindergarten, I probably had a crush on her. And in the third grade, uh, we had a teaching assistant who, like, I used to just imagine what his penis would look like. I just remember sitting in class, like, we're trying to, like, solve math problems and he always gave me such like positive affirmation he's just like Carla's already got the answer she's so smart look at her and I'm just sitting there like imagining what it would be like if I saw his dick (laughs) now I had a crush on a girl I must have been 13. She was a year, I think a year older. She played the flute. I almost played the flute. It's a good thing that my mother has, was like, we're not buying you a flute. <laughs> I don't feel like this is real. <laughs> and it, it ended, but you know, when it was, I was crushed out. But it's interesting because I do remember all of that, but I didn't associate that with my being gay in any particular way. <laughs> My biggest crush growing up, though, was this guy who was my age. He, he kind of came into town late. He was a preacher's son. <laughs> and so I befriended him, you know, just as a sort of a gesture as somebody who had lived there all their lives. We actually had a sleepover once as kids. And the next day he didn't talk to me. And he actually didn't ever talk to me after that, like for a really long time. And we basically broke up as friends. I have no recollection of what happened at that sleepover that might have spooked him or upset him. I wonder, did I make a move? Did I do something that was construed as a move? Or did he do something? After we graduated high school, And I was well into my second or third year of uh, college. I actually was driving through a town where he had moved to. And and I called him to meet up in person. And we did. And it was all very civil, you know. But towards the end of being there, I actually told him, I was like, look, you know, I don't know why we stopped being friends. 
And I remember asking him, do you remember? And he didn't say anything, which was like so maddening because I wanted some kind of clarity. But yeah, I think maybe at some point something happened that might have set off some alarms. I don't know. It's very strange to have that gap. I felt really burned by his ghosting me, what we would call ghosting now. And it definitely hurt my feelings and made me hesitate to really reach out to people who I didn't already know. Even at my very gay high school, among groups of girls, there was still this fear and this feeling of like, uh, almost the inverse of how it is in the straight world in my high school, where it's like, it's fun and chill for boys to be gay, but there were just way less out lesbians and way less out queer women, which led to so many, so many love triangles and uh, bad polyamory <laughs> among the lot of us that were out in high school. But it's just because, there, yeah, there just weren't as many. Something about it was harder for the girls to be out. I can remember the first time that I kind of accident, I say accidentally, but I knew that I was telling people that I had a crush on a, on a, at the time, another girl. It was just some girl named Chris. And it wasn't even like a deep-seated crush. It was just that, you know, sitting around in a circle, everyone's saying who they like, and I was, you have to say somebody or everyone's going to needle you for 20 minutes. <laughs> so I said a name of somebody I thought was cute. And it became this like shockwave that followed me for weeks in like seventh grade. People went and told her. I like got ostracized out of a friend group for it. This person who had kind of been my my new friend didn't want to talk to me anymore. It was suddenly like weirded out by me and saw me as kind of predatory. And so that always stuck with me of being like, oh, I have to be cognizant of what, who I will name this to because socially li liberal place means that maybe behind the scenes people are not talking as socially liberal as they are in public. I think it's because there is such a deep feeling about coming out, right? And there's such a deep feeling societally about there being this like deep, hard boundary between what is gay and what is straight. And that's the hardest part about being a bisexual or pansexual person is because that boundary is impermeable to so many people. So for me to not have made some big announcement that I am a lesbian and then to name somebody for them to be like, you're a female you named a female, but you didn't tell anybody that you're gay. Everyone's just like, what is happening? <laughs> it's like resetting their whole world. Um, being a non-binary person, like I am gay for a lot of things <laughs> because my gender is also a lot of things. So it's like the masculinity I see in others, like that's what I feel like sexual and gay for. And the femininity I see in others, I feel like sexual and gay for. Just looking back at like the kind of naivete of the other kids around me and how I ended up being the informer and the helper so often when people were trying to explore themselves. But in a place that's even conservative in, in any kind of way, there's such a fear of being the other. Like you can allow the other to be present, but you don't want to be too close to them.
I like had trouble having crushes with real people because there was such a duality of like being attracted to men was wrong. And then like I couldn't objectify females because Christianity and like my sisters told me like you can't objectify them. And so crushes were just really hard because it's like, oh, do I like them or am I lusting after them? Was that like constant question? And then with men, like I couldn't even entertain it because it was just like wrong. But then like what would happen is like my crushes would be like this manifestations of like sex scenes because of the porn I was watching. I joined the football team seventh grade um, because my parents, wow, these are connections I have not made. Uh, (laughs) My parents were like, you need to do sports. And it was like a masculinity enforcer thing, but also like you're getting fat. So like you need to start exercising because we're not going to stop feeding you because, you know, that's (laughs) not how you lose weight. Uh, we're going to make you do exercise. And so they were like, pick a sport. And I chose football and I hated it. I hated everything about it. Cause they bullied me. Like I used to run and I was the last person on that line that was running and they'd like bark at you to keep going. It's just like toxic, toxic sport. And so I remember like one of my biggest crushes was like, we had these like two like macho masculine men in our football team And one of them was, like, ironically, one was, like, this white guy, typical, like, quarterback guy. And then the other quarterback was this, like, black guy with, like, dreads. And I remember, like, just having these intense erotic fantasies of, like, the, the black kids wanting to fight with the white kids in the football team. And, like, one group overpowering another group and then, like, dominating them. Like, we're gonna fuck you in this locker room. And so, like... I would just look in the locker room and be like, this is where this happens. And I'd just like get hard. Like when I changed my clothes for gym, because I'm like, this is where it's going to happen. This is amazing. And like, it would always play out. Like every jerk off session is like, okay, this time Mikey's going to win and he's going to overpower Brandon. And then like, fuck him with all his friends. And then like this time Brandon's going to win. And like, he's going to make him like make Mikey suck all of their cocks until they all like bukake all over him. And it's going to be so fucking hot. And then I jerk off and I'd come. And so, like, my crushes, like, then formed into these, like, interesting sex scenes rather than it being, like, I want to be with this person and live the rest of my life with them. There was a teacher who I was really enamored with. And we had a very, very close relationship. And... I think for him, he just might have sensed that I needed that. But I loved him, like, very much. And we would go on, yeah, we'd go on hikes, we'd see movies. We would do, (laughs) we would do, have dates in a way. And uh, he was married, he became, he married, I played at his wedding. I hope he never hears this. But I really, I actually, what's funny is, I was very, I was open with him because, about this recently, because I, really did have a complete crush on him. I was, I would go to his class after school and this is now I'm in high school and weirdly also becoming a little more aware of what I need to hide and what I need to deny myself. So by then I actually was sexually way chased. This happened again in college where I kind of became very monkish in terms of my actual physical actions as opposed to my like private world and what I might do by this was like the dawn of computers too what I might do in a chat room and who I might engage there, what I might look at or seek out was so private and so me only. And that was like weirdly enough. I didn't need to like 
act out on it and really didn't in a maybe sort of a self-preservation thing but for him i just i adored him and i would go to his class after school even i would just hang out maybe get a ride he visited me even in college like with his wife i mean we were just a pair in a way that like look back and i think it's actually kind of remarkable but when i came out we he we fell completely out of touch and when i finally rekindled i reached out eventually this was like a couple years ago i was like i don't know what happened there and I thought, you know, I didn't come out to you. Maybe you felt hurt that I had kept something from you. But you need to know that, like, you were wrapped up in it, even if you didn't know it. Like, you were wrapped up in a lot of what I was feeling. And that might have been why I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you that I'm gay because I'm, like, gay and in love with you. And I wouldn't want to have that now sabotage our intimacy that we shared. And so... We haven't really had that talk, but I did frame that when I reached out. I was like, I know we haven't even been in touch and I don't know why, but if it has anything to do with this, that's what was going on. In high school, my every year, freshman through senior, I had a different kind of fixated target person. And, and sometimes it was very strategic. Like this person is the opposite of me this person might be my biggest threat and I'm going to like diffuse this through like friendship. But in my, what they don't know is it's actually lust. I actually really love this person, but I'm going to become the closest possible friend I can be again, not super proud of this because by then I actually had like a best friend who we were experimenting sexually too. It's wonderful that we survived that <laughs> and that we're still best, best friends. And he came out actually way before me. So I always tell him how much braver he was than I was. While he was like actually becoming more out, even in high school, I was doing this bullshit. Where I was like weirdly actually sabotaging and isolating from my true friends who are still my friends. And like pursuing these like jocks. Once I got towards the end of junior high, uh, moving into high school, there was a boy that I had a, a pretty solid, singular crush on. He was my age. Uh, he was just a really good friend, really smart guy, charismatic. The girls all loved him. He was kind of kind of a dork, and I was very much a dork. And so, you know, we got on really well. And... Uh, we spent a lot of time together and I, I just knew in my heart that as much as I wanted to, to make it romantic and turn it into a thing, he was firmly in the, I'm into girls camp. Um, and so there was a little bit of heartbreak around that. Um, but, uh, is what it is, you know, um, we haven't spoken in a number of years. It's just because of, you know, our lives. It's not, you know, we, we definitely stayed in contact for a long time growing up, but he was actually the second person I came out to when I officially said it and the one I was the most nervous to tell. And he couldn't have been a better ally and friend and confidant. And, uh, you know, I've always been really grateful for that, that we had this friendship and, 
And I told him at the time, you know, remember all those years when people thought that maybe you and I were a kind of a thing? Like, well, I wanted us to be a thing, but, uh, you know, I knew you were into girls and not into me. In this final section, we hear about crushes on friends outside of high school, coworkers, roommates, mentors, and peers who gave us a glimpse into what it might be like navigating our queerness into adulthood. When I was 16, my first real crush on a woman was a woman that uh, ran a program that I volunteered at. Her name was Beth. And she was about seven or eight years older. And we formed a very close friendship. And it was, it was wonderful and so homophobic. It was crazy. She had been a, a PE major and changed it because everybody said, oh, there's all these, you know, lesbians in the PE department. So she changed it to recreation. Not terribly bright, but this was not an easy time. And even though Stonewall had happened, their homophobia was strong, as it is still today. So it you know, really wasn't going to go anywhere. And, uh, but we were very close, and we really had a great time together and really enjoyed it. Were you conscious of, at the time of the infatuation? Not really. I mean, I knew I cared about her, and I enjoyed being around her. She was really the only person I wanted to be around, but I did not look at it as a sexual infatuation. I mean, it's inappropriate on so many levels. (laughs) I was underage. We would smoke pot together. I would stay overnight at her apartment in San Jose. No, we had a friendship. She got pregnant, and this one guy uh, helped women get an abortion, and he was an angel. I mean, really. He set the whole thing up. So I borrowed my parents' car, didn't tell them. So I drove her to the airport, dropped her off, came back when I was supposed to pick her up. You might know that there were no cell phones at that time. So when the person was supposed to come back, that's when you went to go pick them up. I waited at the gate, and all the women that had been on there came off. And I was like, "Um, my friend Beth, where's she? They go, oh, well, she had some complications, so she had to stay. And I was like frantic. So finally called, and she was better, and I went back and picked her up. And that's when I wrote the letter to the editor, the Palo Alto Times, about why is abortion not legal for women? This is crazy. And that was like 68, I think, 67, 68. So having had that experience around the abortion made me very certain that I didn't want to have an abortion. So I made sure that I had... Um, birth control. I mean, if you think about it, the pill made sexuality available to women. We were not then at that point held hostage, you know, so we could control that factor. But then I didn't need it after that when I came out. (laughs) When I did come out, I did go visit her to, to talk to her and see whether or not, you know, there was any mutual feeling or anything. And or just, I don't even really know why, I guess just to button it up. But now that I had a name for how my feelings were towards her, was there anything there, there? You know, I mean, I had to do that because I was underage. I mean, maybe there was something there. And she was like, oh, heck no, I'm not going <laughs> to. 
this is a child, you know, and that would have been inappropriate. She was in a position. I mean, now it's, you know, that would have been a me too all over the place. So when I did go back to her to check in and see, was there anything on her side? And she said there wasn't, then that was disappointing to me, but didn't end my life. And and went on. She was important in my development as a person, and that that's the most important part for that relationship. You know, a lot of times when you're a teenager, I think, and you're hanging out with people of the same age, you don't get the opportunity to see things from another viewpoint. And, you know, having an older person around gives you, older, seven years, but seven years is a lot in those years. So, she had, she had already gone to college and she now she'd moved cross country and she had this job running this program. So she was a adult. <laughs> I was not. And so being around that gave me a lot. Uh, I learned a lot. Well, yeah. It was great. first guy crush I can remember when I was working at McDonald's there was a manager I don't know why I thought he was hot and it was always like he would always be working next to the fryer and he would always be really greasy but I don't know he just he had this like goofy smile with like big dimples bright blue eyes and he had a goofy chuckle I don't know he had a huge bulge in his pants I don't know if it was all balls or what but I just loved checking him out I was like oh that was my first guy crush McDonald's that was when I was 16 16, I had that crush because I started working there and then went on to work at Walmart and got a couple crushes on these three college boys um, that were training to be managers at Walmart. And I was like, oh, they're going places. They're working at Walmart. They're getting educated. Thanks for listening to Fruit Bowl. Excerpts featured here are selected from each person's full-length episode from previous seasons of the podcast and have been re-edited in support of the episode's theme. Want to know more about this episode's featured interviewees? You can find links to each person's full-length interview in the show notes of this episode. Fruit Bowl is produced independently without any corporate media infrastructure or full-time staff. Help support our efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and exclusive video extras that are not available to the general public. Or promote your business by sponsoring an episode of Fruit Bowl or dedicate an episode to a loved one. Sponsorships and dedications are 100% tax-deductible through Fruit Bowl's fiscal partnership with Seattle's Northwest Film Forum. Fruit Bowl receives no direct funding from Northwest Film Forum, only the use of their nonprofit status to receive tax-deductible donations. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com donate or write dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com for more information. Social media platforms often censor mentions or depictions of queer sexuality. Accounts are suspended or banned outright without notice or due process. As a result, 
Promoting Fruit Bowl is an uphill battle, so we rely on you to help spread the word. Tell your friends about Fruit Bowl, rate, and write a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find links to all our social media at fruitbowlpodcast.com. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. That's me. This has been a production of Cubed Media. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.